Welcome to the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. Weekly, we will be interviewing amazing chiropractors from around the world, finding out how they made their vitality shift. If you're a chiropractor that either wants to just move your practice away from treating pain and conditions, or if you just want to stay inspired, this podcast is for you. For more information on past shows, please visit www.drdonmcdonald.com, and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. And uh, today I have my co-host, Brandon McDonald, my uh, my rock star wife. Um, so we're going to do, uh, we got a, a couple of fun little things. We're just going to do like, uh, it's like freestyle, you know, like when rappers freestyle, we're going to do some freestyle. I don't think we're quite that cool, but anyway, I think <laughs> we'll just pretend we are for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. So I think today what we're going to do is we're going to go over the five things you must stop in 2020 in order to increase your vitality as a chiropractor. Um, the second thing we're going to go over is we're going to go over, um, we always do a planning weekend. And so in a couple of weeks, we're heading out to Calgary to leave town to do our planning weekend for 2020. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to do a little fun thing where I'm just going to pick a random page in Brandy's book, Sipping Brandy, and where she's going to pick a post and read it. And it'll be the It'll just be the uh, the randomness of the universe, and it'll be see because I, I won't know what it is, and we'll see if if uh, what that all comes to be. So I think it'll be kind of fun. So welcome so, to the show. Talk fast. Yeah, totally. I'll, I'll, I'll try to talk fast. We're gonna cover all that in forty five minutes. Well, yeah, ish, ish. As, it, as it goes. Okay. So, honey, how are you doing? I'm <laughs> I'm good, honey. How are you? I'm good. Excellent. <laughs> so, so I think maybe what we'll do is we'll start off with the five stops. And, and so in our uh, Vitality Engine group, um, I always put a question out there every week and then we get this feedback back just so that we can kind of get an idea of the people that we're working with and kind of what their challenges are. And so I, uh, I had a, a question out there is what, what do you want to stop doing in 2020? And so I kind of went through a lot of the feedback and we kind of broke it down into five things. And uh, so what we'll do is we'll just uh, have Brandy expand on each thing because Brandy's worked with a lot of these people and she's kind of the ninja in finding out where the problem is actually the problem or maybe the problem's not the problem and, and you think it's one thing, but it's actually another thing. So the number one thing we must stop in 2020 in order to increase the vitality as a chiropractor is our indecisiveness or becoming more decisive. And so I want you expand a bit on that. Well, if we're stopping um, something, I think typically, because we're not going to do a Christmas um, podcast, and usually this is the time of year we start talking about like 2020 and what kind of plans we want to have. And so we start getting setting goals around what we want to do. And I, I've talked about this in other podcasts, and also I talk about this in our group, is that if you're going to do any sustainable behavior change, you, you have to replace it with something. You can't just add on something. And I think a lot of chiropractors that set goals just add on goals, or anybody in the world really, who set goals for the next year. Typically, they're looking to start doing something or to complete something, and they're not replacing it with something. So everything we do, uh, if we're going to start something, we need to stop doing something. And that's why we wanted in our mentorship group to ask people, what are, what are you going to stop doing? Because if you can identify the areas that are barriers and not just goals that are on what you want to do, but actually what you need to stop doing before you start doing something, you're more likely to sustain the change. So indecisiveness came up like a ton. And I think that that inability for, I did a Facebook post on this not long ago, the inability for people to make decisive decisions 
creates a lot of energy stored in our system because we think about stuff all the time. And this is more likely to happen with our introverted, amiable, and expressive personalities. So we have animals in our shift and we personality test everybody. And typically indecisiveness comes with that personality type. It's just, it tends to be part of their being in, in nature because they, they're either introverted in the sense they're indecisive because they're in their head all the time. So that's that real analytical personality that under state of stress get paralyzed because they feel like it's never going to be enough information. And so they end up looking for a bunch of information before they feel like confident to make a decision. And in our amiable personalities, they're wired to have consensus with everybody. So typically with an amiable personality, you're going to find that they want to get everybody's opinion, everybody's feedback. And that's a killer in, in a business in some regard, in some decisions, because sometimes it's not a consensus-based decision that needs to be made. It's a leadership decision that has to be made and then sold to a team or the, the practice members or whatever, if a change needs to happen. So those are the things I think is to identify um, decisiveness. I think it has a bad rap. I think people, I think people think decisiveness is uh, dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And they think that if they're making decisive decisions that it's going to harm people around them, not realizing that indecisiveness harms more people because especially in a business, when you are the leadership of the practice, you are the one tasked with making decisions that fall within your purview or your locus of control, that your people don't have any locus of control in making those decisions. And it's actually an unfair ask of your team or your practice members to be involved in decisions that have nothing to do with whether they control the outcome of that or not. Now, there, there are times where you want to have consensus in your team or your uh, practice members if you're doing surveys and see how things are going, but there's more often than not, a lot of chiropractors are not making decisions because of what people will think of them, because of what they think might happen, and they play all the horrible scenarios over in their head, and they invest a lot of internal energy trying to figure out all the issues that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. which then create an environment inside them where they don't trust themselves to make the decision. So the stemming of indecisiveness comes from uh, personal trust. And so the reason most people aren't decisive is in the past they've made decisions that maybe they didn't, didn't like the outcome. Mm-hmm. Or worse, they have been in a world where they believe that they don't have the ability to make good decisions for themselves because they've been told that by people or People around them have confirmed that for them. So then they don't make decisions and they look to other people to make decisions for them. And then we, they just don't, they just stop making decisive decisions. But if you've been indecisive, you know how much energy that burns inside you. And you also know how much you think about it and lose sleep about it and then think about it some more. And it just, it starts to wear on you and it starts to wear out your vitality. And I think that that is why indecisiveness came up as a top thing to stop in 2020 because people realize how much energy they are bleeding out thinking about making a decision instead of just making a decision. You know what's so funny is that I, that just brings uh, brings brought an idea to me is when we first got Lux and you you're like the research queen on how to train dogs and stuff like that and and you said that what, uh, what I can't remember where you found it but you had read something to me saying that um, when a dog has an indecisive owner. Um, then the dog feels like he has to take over the lead and look after all the decisions. And he doesn't, 
have the capability. And they're of doing not good it. at it. Yeah, totally. and, and so it actually puts them in extra stress response. Right. And they, right. they become hyper vigilant because they right. are like, cause no one's taking over the reins. So then they get stressed out. So, um, I think and they that, don't trust and they don't respect you. Right. Because totally. the, the animal doesn't respect an indecisive owner because they don't know how to determine the next step. So then the animal will take over that role. And then you end up having an animal with behavioral problems because the owner has been indecisive and inconsistent in their decisions in how they're training, in particular when you're training. So, and again, because decisiveness comes with a belief system that it's being an asshole or being mean, then people don't know the difference between dictatorship and decisiveness. And there's a huge difference. It just means that you make a decision and you follow through with it. That's all decisiveness is. It's just you make a decision. It's the best decision for you at the time with the information you currently have. It doesn't mean you can't change your mind. It doesn't mean as the information changes, you won't change it. It just means in that moment, you have done the best you can do with the information you have and you make a decision. And so that is, that's all decisiveness is. There's not really an emotional charge to it except the one that we put on it because if we've seen other people and we don't like how they behave or we don't like how they make decisions and we're like, well, I'm not going to be like that. And then it ends up being worse for us anyways because then we just hold all that inside of us. And then all the people around us that rely on us to be decisive, Mm -hmm. to do what we say we're going to do and follow through with things, which allows people to feel safe. Um, that's what it decisiveness allows people to really always know where you're coming from and to know if they're waiting on a decision, it's going to come relatively quickly. There's nothing worse than when somebody puts their uh, life in somebody else's hands and you don't make a decision. That's the worst. So don't do that. Like, because that's what indecisive people do. They put their decisions in somebody else's hands because they don't trust themselves to handle whatever's going to happen. So they, at the end of the day, what they really want is they want somebody else to make the decision for them. So that if it doesn't go well, they don't have to blame themselves. They can look to somebody else, which again goes back to, I don't trust myself with, with being able to handle whatever's going to happen if it's not the, the right decision. Well, and it's funny because I think the very thing you're trying to do, you actually do the opposite because I know as that personality, you think that, well, if I involve my team in the decision, then they're going to feel more like, uh, like participating in it. But, and, but on, on the other aspect, then, like you said, they lose their confidence in you because, because even I've had that before where you have like, or we've seen that before too, where, um, we had, uh, people where we're trying to change organizations or help to improve organizations and the people that we were going to talk to didn't even have the ability to make the decision or we right. knew that they wouldn't make a decision right. and then it's just a waste of time. So then they don't even talk to you because they're like, they're not going to make a decision anyway. So like, forget it. So we, we, we don't want to have that with our team because no. we want them to come to us because if they think they can, they're going to come to you and they can tell you something, but you're never going to do anything about it. Then it just, they just don't say anything. Well, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So you know that if you're indecisive in your business, you're indecisive everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so indecisiveness not only bleeds out your own internal life force, thinking about it and worrying about it. What happens is if you don't trust yourself, people don't trust you. And if you, people can't trust you, you lose your leadership ability. As soon as you lose your leadership ability, you lose your ability to gain respect from people. And it's very difficult to transform a business and grow it when they don't respect you. They might like you. This is huge in chiropractic. People love you, yeah. but they don't respect you. And that's a challenge because what happens when we see you in our, in our offices we work with is a whole lot of like and a whole lot of disrespect. 
meaning that when a change occurs, so when the leader decides, you know what, now I want to change my pay schedule or change the way that I've been doing flow in my office or change the way that I'm doing something, it comes with a big amount of kickback. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they don't have a lot of respect. Uh-huh. So that is, that's the challenge of being indecisive. Now, being inclusive and decisive exists. I promise you, you can be inclusive in your team environment, which means you do solicit feedback from your team and engage and involve them in the areas that they control, but you're decisive in the areas that they don't. And if you can learn how to ride that fine line, then of course you get respect because it takes the pressure off of them as well. And they look then to you for the leadership and you look to them for their own personal leadership in the areas that they control. And so that when the worst thing is that when we seek feedback from people, because we're indecisive and those people don't have, like you're saying, do not even have the capability to make the decision mm-hmm. or worse, you seek feedback from people and you just discard their advice because you're indecisive. They again, oh my God, here we go again. They're going to ask me the same question. We see this all the time and people asking the same questions, but never do anything different and never make a different decision. I'll tell you, you burn out those people. Yeah. By constantly asking for, well, what would you do? And what do you think? And how do you think we should do it? And live it, right? When, when it's not in their locus of control to even give you advice in that area. So if you're going to stop indecisiveness, you also need to start looking at where are the areas that are in your locus of control to make those decisions and where are the areas to be inclusive and you can still be inclusive and decisive. Well, I think uh, too. Uh, this also happens in marriage, and I think this this was great when uh, when when I was working on this because again, when you have to be when you happen to be have an amiable person in a relationship and more of an alpha, so we got uh, we got a lab and an alpha uh, together. It's easy for the lab just to like lay down and let the alpha make every single decision yeah. known to man. And uh, and it's funny we still we still work on that because it's because uh, from a lab's point of view you're like well you seem so confident you just make the decision then that's right. great and I'm like I'm okay whatever happens um, but I remember when I was first doing that and how you would remind me is even as simple as we do, we always go for our date night on Saturday and then you would be like where do you want to go for dinner and I'd be like oh no where do you want to go and then you would be like dude just make a decision yeah right and so like I think for people who are having a hard time making decisions. Just start with easy things like totally. you pick where you're going for dinner. Totally. Um, I'm going to pick up groceries. I'm like, what do you want for supper tonight? And you're like, please, I always cook all week long and I just want one night. I don't actually make the decision. Decide. Yeah. yeah. And then the caveat is don't get pizzas because I like pizza. So she's like, don't get that because that's not healthy for you. But because that'll yeah. be my default, right? Yeah. But, but, um, but I think for all the labs out there, you can just, especially if you're, you know, Which in your marriage. Which is personality. Yeah. Amiable people pleaser, which is a huge percentage of the world. Yeah. Is that you? And the other thing is that that personality or the analyticals, the one who live in their head most of the time, what you do is you do find people in your life who are decisive for you. Right. And what I, what we realized in an intimate relationship early on, first of all, just because I'm a driver personality doesn't mean I want to make all the decisions. That's first and foremost. And if you don't recognize that, I'm telling you that right now. Right. Even though it looks, it looks like you're, it you, sure you does. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. And the other thing is if you put that person in the position where no one is going to make a decision, I am going to make a decision because we're moving forward. Right. So that is, there is an inclusivity to a certain degree, but now we're moving forward mm-hmm. and it's how we get shit done. 
Um, because if you let a whole bunch of people just talk about it for the next six months or think about it, it's not, nothing's going to happen. So th that personality tends to find people in their circle to do that. But what happens is we also get decision fatigue. So you burn us out. And in, especially in a marriage or an intimate relationship, you burn out your partner, it leads to conflict. The other thing that happens is if you're a female driver, decisive decision maker, you emasculate your male partner if you're not careful. And I, I know that a few people listening to this podcast have heard me talk about this and we've talked about it in the past. You don't mean to, but you do. So you take the decision away and the, the indecisive partner loses their identity because their identity is based on whether or not you make the decision whether you're happy. And that is a horrible place to be in a marriage. And that won't, so you can't sustain a marriage in that dynamic because now you don't have two separate whole identities coming together and creating a healthy marriage. You have people whose identities are tied to one another in particular around decisiveness, who makes the decision, how quickly the decisions get made. And, you know, and again, how you do one thing is how you do everything. You know, that's not just happening in your practice for sure. It's going to be happening elsewhere. And the people that you rely on get decision fatigue and decision fatigue means we're tired of you not making a decision. And so, and, and so as tired as it internally makes you, it also makes people that you have given the responsibility of your life to, which is an unfair ask of people around you to make decisions on behalf of you. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's funny because both have, both have, uh, both create the stress response. So if you're, if, if you're a person who's more um, alpha and a driver, um, we, we talk about there's the two types of people. There's the moving towards people of problems and the moving away from people. And then the labs or the, uh, the amiables are more like to run away from a problem. And then the driver's more to like go head on into the problem, right? right. And so if, you, if you're a chronic go head on into a problem like you were, um, this is where, this is where um, you can learn from both ends of the spectrum is that like I remember at the beginning of our relationship, I was like, Randy, why do you always have to put your neck on the guillotine for every single problem known to man? Like it reminds me of, of Lux, our dog. Yeah. Cause you always go back. So every time there's a problem or a scary noise or, or like anything, the vacuum, yeah, the vacuum is a great example. Like yeah. where dogs are terrified of the vacuum, they run away and cower and hide. And Lux, Lux, Lux runs straight for every, anything that's <laughs> scary, he runs right towards it. And so for me, it's like, are you crazy? Cause I, like my default is run away. My, my default is run right. away. And, right. and, and, but it's still stressful because he's like, somebody needs to fix this. Right. So, so for the, for the moving towards or running into stuff, like you don't need to run into every single thing. Cause that also puts you in the stress response and takes away your vitality. Right. On the other aspect of it, if you run away from every single thing or any conflict or anything that looks scary at all, you run away from all the time, that is totally puts you in the stress response and takes away your vitality as well. And yes. so I, th I think knowing what your tendency is, you can work on it. So like the people who run into every trauma, maybe you don't need to run into every single trauma and people who run away from every single trauma, you got to like pick the easy things at first, but just kind of <laughs> make a decision or, 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 or run towards the scary thing for once. Well, and if you look at like, research on indecisiveness, I bought you that book called Decisiveness and that there you can actually pick this up. One of the things that um, is interesting is that's one of the, that's one of the actual strategies. If you are consistently um, indecisive is to actually run towards something scary 
Mm-hmm. Like, so it's ad, that's actually a strategy. It's like a practice, right? If it's practice. freaky as heck, all get up to you, you actually go towards that sort of just like overcoming fear. So you can see it's really not that scary. And so it is, that's why it's like a muscle. Decisiveness is a muscle that you work on and you work out and it gets stronger because you realize if you start with little, little decisions, like we're going to eat here for dinner. I'm going to wear this outfit or like, what, like whatever, stupid, stupid stuff that doesn't matter. When you have to make bigger decisions about your business or about a move or about whatever, a relationship, then you're more likely to do it because what that, what little decisions make when you're building a decisiveness muscle is it creates trust within yourself. And as soon as you can trust yourself, you know, like with Lux, he doesn't trust the vacuum isn't going to get him. So he thinks he needs to get the vacuum. He gets him first. (laughs) He gets him first. And so we've had to work quite a bit on us standing between the vacuum and him going, dude, I got this. Don't, we don't need you right now. We are fine. You are fine. The vacuum is fine. We can protect you. You don't need to protect us from the vacuum. <laughs> so like, it's a matter of he, and so only now you'll only periodically see his brain go into that launch response. We've almost gone to a point where he can observe the vacuum. Um, he doesn't love it, but he's not going to necessarily run and bite towards it unless we don't watch his behavior and he gets into that kind of stress response. So I think that's the way you build it is you just do small things at first and then you start to get bigger and bigger because what happens is you go, no, no. Okay. I got this. I got this. I'm okay. I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And he's just not as good with the lawnmower. Uh, no, <laughs> but, I but don't, we don't we, want more anywhere near as much as we vacuum. So yeah, totally. To get- Especially for our, our eight months of winter or whatever we got. So that's really, there's really no lawnmowering going on at no. that time. No. Okay, so that was a pretty big answer for the first one. <laughs> for the oh first time. See what I mean by talking fast? But, but again, a lot of these are going to tie into each other because, again, it, when you go to these surface problems, a lot of them go back to the same problem. So, so the second thing is how, um, how do you deal with self-doubt? Because, again, if we have large amounts of self-doubt, that's also going to be draining the vitality away from chiropractors out there. So stopping self-doubt, well, we'd be billionaires if we, we could just do that. <laughs> Self-doubt, I refer back to our million podcasts before. Self-doubt is, how do you stop self-doubt? Well, you have to replace it with uh, self-esteem because that's the opposite of it. So things that build your esteem, decrease your self-doubt. That is the the simplest answer to how to stop self-doubt. Nobody's ever going to fully stop self-doubt. It's basically a matter of controlling it. I think mm-hmm. that we are all wired in our experience, um, unfortunately, from as soon as we start to take on the world's view of how we should be and who we should be. By the time we're adults, we're pretty wired in our experience to doubt our skills and abilities and talents. And the only way that we kind of can stop that is to replace it with something that builds our esteem. And the thing is that some people, what I find is some people, at, the sad thing is that some people don't have anything that in their mind builds their esteem. Mm-hmm. So if they're, they're sort of got a failure momentum in their lives, which means that we see this a lot with our practice members. They don't have any hobbies. They don't love their job. They, they're not, their kids might be gone. Like they don't have anything externally helping them build their esteem. It's very difficult to internally build it without some external help. So they dealt their skills and abilities and talents and they dealt their gifts and so it's a matter of finding and, and spending time in areas that you are really gifted because that obviously is the opposite of that. 
So that, that, that's the, if you're going to set goals around that, it's around how much time are you going to spend in those areas that really express your gifts and your talents versus the areas that are more difficult for you. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, in a business that, that should be areas of goal setting around who you're going to get into your business to help you in the areas that perhaps you're not as strong in rather than just being a little less weak in areas that maybe we're not thriving in. So that, that's really, um, goals around self-doubt are really more around what, where will you spend your time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. I was just, uh, I did spin class yesterday and then we went out afterwards for beer. And one of the guys that was out there was talking about his son was playing hockey. Well, they thought they're, who's going to take him out of hockey because he's like, dad, I don't want to do hockey anymore. And he was like, that was so weird. Cause like he was totally enjoying hockey. And then, um, later on in the week, he, uh, he told his mom, he said, uh, well, the reason I didn't like hockey is because uh, when I was going on the ice, my brother looked at my jersey and it was his jersey was too big for him. And my brother said to me, uh, you look like a, that looked like a dress, look like you're wearing a dress. And so he was so mortified. He like wanted to quit yeah. hockey. And so then and because he didn't want to look like a dress and that's why he didn't yeah. want to go out and play anymore. Yeah. And uh, so he said after like, maybe I do want to go play hockey. He said, but mom, can, can we just make sure that my jersey look doesn't look like a dress? But, but like little things like that, like we were totally. joking around that I said, he'll be down the road, like in his thirties or forties going through like therapy and stuff talking about back when I was like, whatever. And someone said, I look like I was wearing a dress and it wrecked my whole life. And it's who knows, true. he could have it's been an NHL that, hockey player and that might've yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. So it's typically something like that. I mean, by the time we're adults, we're dealing with that, that kind of stuff. And so it's, where does it come from? It's, some people know and other people's is just so layered. You, can, you can't really ever get to where it comes from. That internal work is always more difficult than externally finding things that make you feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, it's a matter of doing both. But the easiest thing, if you're looking for a quick, quick way to go, well, what could I gold center on that is to find things that you can express yourself fully and that really build your esteem. Well, and I think too, we, we have that word self-integrity, right? Because we, we, especially for a lot of people pleasers, if you ever say, oh, you don't, do you have integrity? They're like, of course I have integrity because they, they always claim to be so concerned about everybody else. But when in actuality, they're more concerned about themselves and, and self-integrity is about, uh, do you, do you say you're going to do stuff and do you fall through with it? Because if you, if you and it's easier to let down yourself than other people. And, and if you constantly make goals or say you're going to do stuff or whatever, and you don't, that chips away at your self-integrity, which again, is going to go right into the self-doubt as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Next one is fear. How do you just, how do you just stop fear? <laughs> hey, stop it. Okay. okay. Next. That was number four. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> Who says I'm going to stop fear? First well, of all, okay. Cool. The fear. thing was is to not let fear run their life as much, like to, to not, okay. not be okay. so Just, worried about fear. Yeah. Okay. Let's not, you're never going to stop fear. So let's have some realistic expectations of what we can achieve because there's a level of fear. That's actually a good thing. Well, so, as we know in chiropractic, sympathetic is we're wired sympathetic, right? So our sympathetic nervous system is dominant because the number one priority is to stay alive. So if we don't, we all know that if we don't do the healthy things in life, we're going into sympathetic dominance. We're going into fight or flight response. So fear is actually default to keep us alive. So like you said, that's impossible. That's going to be, you're always going to have some level and it, and it's a level of, um, the, the best book I ever read on fear is called the gift of fear by Gavin De Becker. And he's, he was, a, he was a, um, uh, uh, a security specialist. 
and worked with hundreds or thousands of women that had been assaulted or raped or, uh, you know, kidnapped. And, and he talks in this book, he talks, I mean, this is on the far end of severity, but you'll get my point. He talks about the gift of fear and how that level of inclination in our system can, can actually propel us really to some degree. And so like, if you think about anything you've ever done, that's been very successful, there's, there's a small level of fear that's actually been, that actually is used as fuel. Yep. It becomes dysfunctional when we ignore it actually. Mm-hmm. So, or it becomes dysfunctional when it paralyzes us to, to do something that's not scary. So on the far end of it, we use it for safety and survival. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, lots of us ignore it, on, which is hilarious. On that end, we ignore it. And on the end in which it's not scary, so it's not scary to do something new. It's not scary to change your fees. It's not scary to hire an associate. It's not scary to start a new relationship. Like you're not going to die in any of those situations, but your brain is basically telling you you are. And in the situations that we should be using it, we're like, no, nah, it's fine. Like you're walking in a dark alley and there's some weird yeah. person there and you get a bad vibe and you're like, yeah. oh, it should be okay. You know, I'll you could right. die. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what he talks about. Yeah. And, and he talks about we're the only mammal in the world that will get a feeling that like, oh, this doesn't feel safe and get into a big metal box and close the door with a stranger into an elevator. Right. And as he looked at all of these situations, hundred percent of the women said, no, I knew, I mm-hmm. knew something was going to happen. But they, so, so that's at that level. So it's about recognizing that fear is, is not a bad thing. It becomes dysfunctional when the brain says, oh my God, you're going to die when you're not going to die. Yeah, so that's catastrophizing. Yeah. It's the perception of it is skewed. So you, you're not going to stop it. What you're going to do is you're, you're going to start to identify, I think, and manage how true it is. Because there, because you do want fear, you you have to recognize it. You want to know what it is. It's important to have it, and it actually, when you start to feel it, you can use it actually as fuel. And we, you and I did a call in our mentorship group around using fear as a fuel, because it comes with a whole bunch of fuel-oriented hormones that allow us to get stuff done, right. including adrenaline. So, like, there's a period of time where you're like, oh, actually, I can use this. So, I think it's a matter of identifying the perception of what's going on and how real it is or if it's not real very often even when our groups that we work with um you know they'll say well what if this happens and i'm like and what if it does happen right and they're like well i I don't know i'm like so you're still gonna be alive yeah your marriage is still gonna be okay yeah your kids are still okay yeah your office is still gonna be steady yeah okay so nothing is gonna happen if that happens (laughs) right so nothing's gonna happen so that that is actually how you handle fear is you actually just approach it and you, you know, I call it looking for the monster under the bed where kids are like, Oh my God, I can't look under the bed. I'm scared to go to bed. There's a monster under the bed. I'm like, and then you open up the cover and you look under the bed and there's no monster. So that's how you manage fear is you just look and you go, is this real? Right. And you're getting into an elevator and your brain goes, Oh my God, there's a scary dude in there. I'm not going to get in. Then don't get in. You feel weird about going on a plane. Don't get on the plane. Right, because you actually might die, but if you're going to change your fees at your office, I promise you, you're not going to die. If five <laughs> people leave your office because you raise your fees, people aren't going to. You're still not going to die. Or another example is going from insurance to cash, like yeah. for, like chiropractors in the states or something. Right, you're you're still not going to die. And so, I'm not suggesting we're not suggesting you do rash decisions, yeah. but remember, you're decisive. 
to decisive decisions where you use a little bit of fear, even though you, because what fear is, is the fear you don't know what's going to happen. That's actually what fear is. Right. And because of that, and you want to control what happens is why people can't overcome it. And you have to also give some of your um, life to this universal design that you're still going to be okay. And you don't exactly know what's going to happen, but you're still going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So the underlyingness of, of not life-threatening fear, but just fear that's holding us back from achieving what we want to achieve is getting to a point to recognize that you are going to be okay. And that when we make decisions in the moment, we make them with the best information we have available to us at hand. Mm-hmm. That's that, and, and we're okay. And that doesn't mean down the road we're not going to change the decision or get more information and change the way we view it totally. But at that moment in time, you make it with the best decision, with the best information you have at hand, and you're going to be okay either way. It's so funny. I was listening to a podcast and, and they had a quote on there and I don't know who said it, but they said, uh, in order to be successful in business and life, you must be able to make good decisions. And the only way to make good decisions is to learn how to make good decisions. And the only way to learn how to make good decisions is by making bad decisions <laughs> and then learning from making many bad decisions and then learning from it so that you can correct. That's like, that's, uh, you know, closing that refractory period. So it's kind of ironic that you actually need to make bad decisions in order to be better right. at making good decisions. Yeah, totally. Okay, cool. Next one. How do you stop procrastinating? Are we on five now? What number is this? Four. Four. Oh my gosh. Stop procrastinating. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think they're the same. Procrastinating and being indecisive, aren't those the same things? Um, yeah, a little bit. And, and again, I think with a lot of the work I've done with Martini, is that like he said, actually procrastination is actually false. Like you always will do stuff that's highest on your values. Um, but what is, is when you think you should be doing something or you don't really want to do something, you actually have to really push yourself to do it. And, uh, and so that what procrastination is. And if you actually want to get over procrastination, because there's something you know that's going to be really beneficial to your family or your life, like maybe doing a screening or, or, or changing up your procedures or, or improving your first visit or your port of findings, you need to be able to link it to your highest value. So I think part of this is being aware of what your top values are, because once you know what your top values are, you can actually do linking exercise um, because you just automatically do it because things that you enjoy doing, you don't need anyone to motivate you to do them or, or coach you to do them. Um, you just do them. And when there's things that you know that will, that will improve your life, even though it's not your top values, um, cause I think for you, like maybe you talk about like exercise and stuff. Cause like people always say, well, Brandy's in such good shape and she just loves to exercise and it's so easy for her. Why don't you use that as an example? Uh, well, because I want to be healthy. Um, mm-hmm. and I, as I age healthier, as I age, that's my driving force. I do not love running stairs when it's minus 40, like, and there's some Sunday mornings where I'm tired and I do not want to go to the gym. But my value of health is, is high on my core values. And so the behavior to support that, one of the behaviors is how much I work out. It also helps me with my stress response. And I, because I know that to be true, and I'm just a better person when I move, then I keep, uh, I keep working out. And so I think, uh, yeah, so I guess if we're going to talk about procrastination from that perspective versus being indecisive, even though they're, dis- they're linked. If, yep. you're, if you're procrastinating, you're indecisive because you haven't made any decisions. To do anything different. Just different language for the same. That's what we say. The so, problem's not the problem. Sort of. Yeah. It's basically, and you know, very often you and I say this to people like, well, if you just don't want to, then stop making goals around it. Totally. Procrastination. If you don't want to do it, just say you don't want to do it. If you don't want to grow your practice and do what it takes because it does take quite a bit, then just say, I don't want to. Other things take my priority. It's so freeing to say that. I just don't want to. 
-hmm. people often I get, because I get so many asks about like my workout routine and my diet routine and, you know, especially from female chiropractors who um, are trying to figure out how to negotiate their, their time. Uh, at some point with some people, I'm like, you just don't want to. But they're, no, 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 but I should. No, 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 no. I get, I get you logically know why you should take care right. of yourself. But you don't want to. You're, it's not of value to you. Right now, you have other values. Now, whenever you make a choice, you have a consequence. So when you procrastinate, you need to know that that is a choice. You are choosing not to do something or think about it, which again, back to indecisiveness, burns out so much of your internal reserve that you're, it actually exhausts you. Then act, action, doesn't, action doesn't really exhaust you as much as thinking about action totally. exhausts you. So yeah. it's the thinking about action that burns people's vitality out, whatever it is. And so typically if people are procrastinating, they just don't want to do it, even if they know they should. And so the work around that is, is like you said, is either linking it to a higher value of yours, providing for my family, being able to play with my kids, building a, a more financially successful office, whatever it is, uh, having a hot body to fit into my jeans when I'm 60. Like, I don't care what, it doesn't matter what it is. I have no, I have I, like, whatever people want to say is, it's, that's the other thing is they judge their own value system. If you want to look a certain way, then look a certain way. If you don't want to look a certain way, then don't look a certain way. So the, that's where the work is. It's not just a matter of I'm just going to do it, which is why people don't sustain their results because they just set it out because they think they should do it, like you said, and not link it to what they really value in life or just let it go. Mm -hmm. just, you just don't want to do it at this time. Doesn't mean I, you can't revisit it. It just, at this time, it, you don't want to do it. Well, I think it just brings back that quote out of my head from, uh, from Jim Parker, from the Parker principles where, uh, they have that equation where it's a thought plus an action equals a feeling. And then that feeling will help generate another thought, right? So, um, if we have a thought and then we have no action, you, we already know what that feeling is going to be, which is going to create the new thought, which tears down at our decisiveness our self doubt our fear, like right. increases fear, like all that kind of stuff. So we, 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 we want to realize that if you're having a thought that you're never going to do, you're just setting yourself up to increasing your self-doubt and decreasing your self-integrity. Totally. You should have an equation where you're just actually tearing yourself down. Yes. So that's why if you don't want to do something, don't do it because you're actually wrecking your own self-esteem. <laughs> and just say back to decisiveness, just say you don't want to. Right. Because the whole I should is why we're partly why we're indecisive. Isn't that, that's one of our favorite saying. We're like, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah, no, and I say it all the time. It's like, why don't you do that? I'm like, because I don't want to. Because I don't want to. I don't want to. Or if Lux doesn't want to do something, I'm like, would you stop signing like that? He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. <laughs> that's a great, that's the line for 2020. I don't want to. I don't to. want to. <laughs> and like, it's okay. <laughs> okay, last one. Um, we have a lot of cars say, how do I stop talking so much when I'm communicating with my practice members? And like, cause they, the goal is to connect better and talk more in their values, but they end up finding out that they're talking too much. And then we wanted to, we, we basically call that non-intentional communication. Well, I think because we spend so much time in the shift talking about observation, awareness, and attention with people, it's come more likely to their attention that a lot of their time is spent talking and not enough of their time is spent connecting. And so you know, there's some memes saying the biggest mistake of communication is the myth that it actually occurred. 
Right. So we think like, oh, they totally got it. And then they're like, what? They didn't get it. I don't understand it. Because I, I said it and I said it again and I said it again and I said it again. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter what you said. It matters whether the receiver received it or not. First of all, when it comes to intentional communication. And secondarily, a lot of the fillers that we, that we use in our time with people is because we don't really know how to connect just in silence, and particularly when you're checking and adjusting somebody there's a lot of filler time. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I wanted to do with some of our docs is whatever their adjusting time is, five minutes, seven minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes. So I wanted them to lay on a table in silence for that period of time and, with, and time it with an iPhone. Right. So that you can actually see how long that is. Like it's a long time. 12 minutes is a long time on a table. People can't and, even meditate for 10 minutes. They, they think they assume they drive them crazy. Our attention span is like less than a goldfish now, isn't it? Yeah, like seven seconds or something. There. So, so, and because people are bombarded today with information, and we know because in our shift we do so much in the states of the brain, and we know the majority of people, their state of the brain is not an optimal arousal. It's in, a, it's in an altered state of some kind. They're not even taking in the information you're chatting about. And so... Part of our inventory in chiropractic is the time that we spend with people. And to increase our inventory, we have to decrease our time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that for a lot of people, if they looked, if they had an, an awareness of what they're actually doing, they'll find that they're actually talking most of the time. And not necessarily talking. I, like in our experience, it's not, it's not talking about stuff that matters. Like, let's be honest. Right. And again, if you ask about where a day blows up, it's like, well, the worst thing is that like, you get a person in there who likes what I like and like you, you know, either watched yeah. hockey last night. I'm like, oh my God, right? So you actually find now with the people that you really connect with, it's even more so. Right. so now we're filling a social need with our time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that talk, in order to stop talking so much, you have to replace it with something. You can't just stop talking, particularly if you're an expressive personality. You can't just stop talking. What do you need to do? So you actually have to, you have to have an awareness, first of all, of the time you're spending. So if you've never done that before, just lay on the table for the time you think somebody should be on that table for as you're talking away. And just see how long they're actually there. The second thing is to recognize that a lot of people um, that come into your office have not really ever had an experience of just a total disconnect from information and volume and words their, their lives are like this all day long. And when the brain is sort of in hyperactivity or in hypoactivity, they need to have different things given to them. And just a lot of talking doesn't really help them. And so, you know, there's things like breathing for you, silence for you, even just having some of our docs practice like the 20 seconds of silence. It's Actually, even five, just five seconds. It's hilarious. Like, just time the conversation. it on the iPhone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you, but it's a habit. So you, almost, you have to actually catch yourself like to go, okay, I'm going to stop, right? Because, you, because that's what intentional communication is, is you have to know how you're coming across, what your physiology looks like, what your tone sounds like, how much you're saying and what you're saying. That's what intentional communication is. And communication, when we say it, and people immediately go to education and talking. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily what communication is. That's a little bit of it. But that's not all of it. So people logically know this, but they don't have an awareness of it. And so I think people who want to, not that, not that they want to stop talking, they want to minimize the amount of talking and maximize 
their awareness and the intentional communication they have with people when they're there in front of them, either on a table or at a at a visit where they're reviewing something with them. Well, one of the best things is funny because we were working with uh, with our docs in the engine about like how to do that. And so I'm always thinking of ways to be able to help them to do that. And then it just happened. The universe always comes around and I ended up getting three new practice members in a row from Romania that did not speak English. And so I had to do my first visit and second visit through a translator and talk about that is that you need, so when you have less, you can't talk a lot. So you have to talk less. So the less you talk, the more focus you have to have. So you have to really ninja in on what would actually, what would, what would, what would resonate with this person? Cause I don't have very many words. So it's, it's interesting is that as you have less time, you have to increase your focus. If you have yes. tons of time, you can just like drift off in the, in your heads yeah. all floating around and all over the place. And so, so it was just like, what are the, what's the main thing that this person needs to know that's going to show how chiropractic is going to help them through a translator and knowing yes. that, that when they come in for regular visits, I can't, we're not going to be chatting because they don't speak English. So, so what is, what is the one thing they need to know? And then you're like ninja focused to that person. So that, that was, that was funny thing. So if you've ever had a chance to do a first visit with a translator, that would be actually a really good practice. Totally. Or like we have a couple of deaf people as well. Like if you ever dealt with deaf people or hearing impaired people, yeah. like it's possible, but that's just the severe end of it. And so if you can do that there, you can do it elsewhere um, if you want. So for our people, a lot of them just want to minimize their chatter talk and maximize their intentional communication. That's how I read that, not to stop talking totally. per yeah. se, but to to stop their unintentional communication and to start more intentional communication, which I think is, is more along the lines of what they're looking for, which is really being aware of whether they are connecting, whether the receiver is receiving what they want them to receive and to have a few minutes where people are just there with them in the moment, especially when they're on the table without you firing all of their logical brain all the time, which puts them more in that higher stress response then dialing the brain back down just with touch and silence. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, there's a, there's five things just to stop in, two, uh, in 2020 and then you'll be totally fine. Okay. Perfect. Next thing I wanted to talk about is uh, we're coming up on our planning weekend that we do every year. Uh, we go to Calgary and just go for the weekend and then we do uh, do a planning together for like our family and our business and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we had a few people and especially in the engines just say, Hey, can you kind of go over what you actually do? So, so maybe you can describe like kind of, why we started doing it and how you do it. Well, we did, we do the same way as we do with our staff. I mean, we recognize that to plan, we need time away from the environment. First of all, it's hard to plan in your environment because there's always distractions and things going on. So um, with our office, we take people away from our office and we go and book a lunch in a private room and we plan out the calendar. We do six months at a time, but we have a year calendar and we plan out all of our events, all of our marketing, all of our appreciation days, and who's doing what. We delegate it. We theme it. So we thought, well, we should do the same thing for us because we run multiple businesses now. Um, our practice, we take care of there. But then, of course, we still we have our mentorship. We have our shift program. We have our live programs. We have our masterminds. So we needed to go away from our environment because even when we're here in the house, there's always stuff going on. There's always people interrupting. We do stuff for volunteer for the profession all the time. So we need to just be away from that. So we just go to Calgary. We go to a hotel. We spend uh, an afternoon, get some wine. We sit down, same thing. And we plan out a year in advance 
um, what we're doing, when we're doing uh, it, how we're doing it, what we need to do for it. And the biggest thing is we just plan when stuff needs to be done to get it to whatever the date is. So for planning, same as the office, if we're doing an event, then we know three weeks before we've got to have it up and we've got to have the posters and we've got to have the stuff bought, the office decorated. So like we sort of have that all planned. And so we do the same thing with our businesses personally, um, our passion projects as well as we do it the same way as our office. And then Very also simple. put any time away too. So like holidays and stuff, because this is the other thing that we had in the past is that because we love what we do so much, we, we have the, the practice stuff and then we have the shift stuff and then we have our live event stuff and we have our travel stuff that like it all filled up and then there wasn't really any time for holidays. Right. And so we have to also make sure that we're mindful of when we need breaks because even right. though you enjoy what you do, you still need to have a break away so that you stay recharged. So what we really try to do is get the breaks in there as well, pre-booked because if you don't pre-book time away for yourself, um, cause that's another thing that a lot of the, the our uh, turbo shifter said is that is taking time for themselves because a lot of them have families and practices and all that kind of stuff and a lot of distractions. So it's really important also to get, where do we want our times off? When do we want our ho holidays? Then's when's our events, then's when our, uh, our events that are having in the office and our seminars and blah, blah, blah. And then you can kind of like spread it all out and have that one year calendar just already set up for the next year. So basically you, you want, it's, you want to book your rest as much as you book your stress. So mm -hmm. we, and only in the last few years did we start going away for our own stuff to book um, after we learn the lesson of what happens when we don't book because the universe fills up all your schedule with everything other than rest. So yeah. you literally have to hard book that out. Otherwise, as we learned, it doesn't happen. And then we're working all year long, all summer long, every weekend. You know, you, you, can, you can spend your time working uh, all the time, particularly when this is your passion. And so if that, if that is you, uh, whether it's in your office or you have other things going on, you have to book that out. Otherwise, it just doesn't happen. Uh -huh. Cool. So that's a little bit how we do that. And then the, the last little bit of this uh, podcast, I, I want to do is story time with Brandy, with <laughs> Sipping Brandy. This is story time. This is so weird. So this is going to be funny. So I was like trying to figure out, I'm, I'm just going to pick a random page from uh, Brandy's oh book, God. Sipping Brandy. And uh, she's just going to see which, which is her first post and just see which one it is. It's kind of like doing tarot cards or something, right? And just see if it like... Okay, well, first of all, people might not even know what Sipping Brandy is. Okay, why don't you tell everybody what, what Sipping Brandy is and then I'll... Well, why don't you tell everybody what Sipping Brandy is? Well... <laughs> You're the one who made it happen. No. Um, yeah, well, Sipping Dr. Brandy, well, this will be a video. So this is a video on Facebook, so I'm just showing the book. But for those of you that don't see the video on Facebook, um, on the Vitality Ship for Chiropractors, you'll listen to the podcast. Sipping Brandy is just exactly what it says, Facebook Wisdom for Extraordinary Chiropractors and Teams. It's just a compilation of all of my Facebook posts over the last two and a half years that I've been writing, I write every morning and sometimes in the afternoon, I write practice stories, life stories, my opinions. Um, it's basically started as a journal for me, which is the only reason I started it. And then people started reading it and responding and engaging and it built my platform. And from that platform, requests for books because people were printing out these, putting them in binders, screenshotting them, putting them in file folders on their computer. And yeah, the book was formed. And so it's just a compilation of the top posts over the last couple of years um, put together in a book. Yeah, and it was Dr. Sabrina from Ottawa who uh, uh, came out and said she'd help us put it together. So between her and me, we kind of put it all together. So Brandy just had to write them and then just because she hates doing that kind of stuff. So we got that together. So it's kind of neat because it's just like different stories, right? So there's just like paragraphs. 
So it's just kind of like food for thought and you can just open up to a page and then read it and then share it with your team or just food for thought. And so because last night after I did spin class, we went to watch the orders game and uh, my favorite player is Connor McDavid and his number is 97. Oh God. <laughs> That's how you picked it. I just randomly picked it today. So go to page 97 and like, and then you can read well, us. There's usually one more than one post on, on the page. 97. Okay. 97. Read us a story, Brandy. <laughs> okay. So here, here's the thing about 97. There's a post. Oh, now don't mean to write. Maybe what I should do is read post 97 and not page 97. There you go. That's probably easier because there's more than one post on a page. Okay. So let's do. Um, okay. That's fine. Okay, post 97. I can't, it's so weird. One of the very first coaches we had close to 15 years ago taught us you will never have more challenge than support. The two will always be balanced. Sometimes that's hard to see when one is in the challenge. I've been thinking a lot about this over the last weekend. Then yesterday an asshole called and was abusive to my staff. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> this guy wasn't a practice member, but was mad we asked for a card to hold an appointment he hadn't made yet and had booked four times in the past and missed every single one. First, he screamed and swore at my young CA, trying to bully her into booking. And then he phoned back and continued his tirade with my lead CA, who was a unicorn of kindness. I have a lot of understanding right up until a man yells and bullies a woman in particular, who have done nothing but take a phone call and go over a policy that they did not make. They stood their ground. Last night, I got a text about it and nearly lost my mind. I all understand, all about understanding until I am not. So he did not book, and I would have canceled him if he did, as he is effectively banned from our practice. I am not going to love him until he's good. That's absolutely not going to happen on my watch. <laughs> Today we were debriefing about it. My staff handled it well and rebounded healthily. This has never happened before, thankfully. We don't deal with a lot of people like this. Then, right before I left for lunch, we got a card in the mail addressed to the team at Southside Chiropractic. It was a handwritten thank you card for the team who has changed this young girl's life who is a relatively new practice member. My CA and I started laughing and I said, yep, typical. The damn truth is always the truth. One cannot have challenge without support. Nice. Dude, that's so funny because your default was like the Lux fault. We talked about moving towards okay, moving towards. Yeah. You, you were out to <laughs> rip his throat out. Like find that dude and let's kill him. Yeah, he was a vacuum for me. I was about to go after the vacuum. Although, yes. So I like to share my story. I, I think people think when you have a, you get to this level and you have a platform like we do and, and a practice like we do that I, those are people who have not known us for long think that this is the way it always has been and that we have this really special practice that's perfect and perfect people and perfect care plans and everybody lives forever in chiropractic. That's not, totally is not the case. And so I get the same, you know, we have the same people in the world as everybody else has. And we have the same challenges everybody else has. And I am eternally grateful for all of the mentors and support people we had when we were struggling so much in chiropractic, because it was funny at the time, it never made sense to me. And like 15 years later, people's feedback still comes back to me in moments of stress and trauma. And I, I'm like, yeah, no, they were, my joke now is B-I-A-R, Brandy is always right. And I think back in those times of those people, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, they were, they were right. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, definitely. And so maybe we could add one more stop and then there'll be stop accepting assholes in your practice. That'll be like the number or six. Just, yeah, that's right. Yeah, then that's don't, don't, and don't put up with that stuff. Like a lot of people would put up with that, right? And don't, you, you don't, you don't need to put up with 
improper behavior, right? So, no. and we love potential in chiropractic, so we're like, you know what, just love them. And no, yeah, there's a, there's a there's a limit and a boundary that has to be drawn. And if you have that, you'll, you're much happier. Like I was very proud of my team, in particular my lead, who handled that. I wasn't there, who handled it beautifully, um, because he was really trying to bully his way to an appointment, and they stood their ground and. And the next day, the debrief is such a huge part of if something weird happens and, and nobody was really scarred by it. They were, they were sort of over it. Their bounce back was pretty good. So I was pretty happy about how they all handled it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, this will be our last um, co-show of 2019. So um, in closing, ever, ever not ever, um, but in, in, in closing, um, what kind of words of inspiration would you like our listeners to take going into 2020? Well, I think toy, I think every year everybody goes, oh, a new <laughs> and I'm like, I hate to break it to you, but it's still you going into the next decade. It wasn't the decade. Right. So yeah. I think if you wreck it, like every year, I think, oh, thank God it's a new year. It's a new start. No, you, you, I think that my biggest life lesson and what I try and teach is that you, every time you turn around, there you are. And at any point, your life can change with the decisions that you make. And I think people hate that answer because it seems like it, it's easier than it is. But I certainly have never said it was easy, but just that it's possible. And I think that as you go into any new year, any new month, any new day, you can always make a different decision to change the results of, of your life. And so I think that you know, that's one of the things no matter the year, the month, the day, the hour. Anytime you make a different decision, you have a different result. So, and it's always within your power to do that. All right. Well, thank you for uh, being co-host today on the, on the show. Thanks, honey. We always appreciate you being on the show. And, uh, and so for everybody out there, um, again, thanks so much for listening. Um, Please, there's a lot of good nuggets in this and please share this with uh, your colleagues, uh, any chiropractors, friends, and this is even outside of chiropractic, like this covers a lot of stuff. So So we really appreciate you sharing, um, giving us a review on iTunes. That would be amazing. Um, And uh, and we want you to have an amazing 2020. So uh, we will talk to you next time on the Vitality Shift podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've received value from this episode, please share this with a fellow chiropractor and take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about our programs and events, please visit www.thevitalityshift.com or connect with me on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.